Yo, brother, how you doing? I'm great. I can't complain. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I am, yeah, interested to see where this conversation goes. I mean, where I'm quite happy to to delve right in, right into it. Actually, it's a conversation which was which came about as a result of an experience that I had, and it led me to want to do an episode. So, I mentioned previously, I lost my clippers, or my clippers ended up not working. Um, my my clippers stopped working, and I needed to buy a new pair. And these were wool super taper clippers. I had them for about ten years, and the idea of getting a new pair was pretty daunting because it's not something that you have to replace every every couple of months. It's something that you probably should only replace every five years or so. And the fact that these clippers lasted me so long meant that I hadn't had to consider what was on the market. Um, and I put into Google wall super taper clippers and found out that the clippers that I had had been discontinued, but there was a slightly updated version which was available. And the main differentiator between this version and the old version I had was that it was cordless and it was actually lighter. And uh, for some people trying to figure out why is this guy buying clippers is he a barber no I'm not a barber but I've been cutting my own hair for well over 10 years now and yeah so if you meet me in person please don't look too close you might see some things that you weren't trying to see um, but yeah these clippers they looked fantastic for me they were a good price and not only was I able to find the answer to my question in terms of what product should I buy when I went online, I was also through the same website able to purchase these these clippers. Nice. So I did, and I was in. I was I was panicking because obviously the longer I have to wait before I have my clippers, the more I start looking like a slave. So I tried my best to to get them delivered to me as soon as possible. Uh, yep, and that came through. Those clippers actually came through, um, but. I was actually disappointed. I was disappointed for a, a range of reasons. One of the re reasons I was disappointed was because I actually didn't know when my clippers were going to be delivered. Now, this is third wo first world problems, but I had no idea when I was actually going to receive these. I knew they were going to be posted to me, but I, I got so used to Amazon service where they tell me what day my order is going to be delivered uh, they also give me real-time updates, like your driver is three stops away, your driver yes. is two stops away, that the fact that I didn't know whether my order was going to be delivered on Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday actually really confused me. And as a busy person who's got a lot of stuff going on, it really annoyed me. Um, as I said, first world problems. The, the other thing which was interesting to me is, as I said, this was not a well-known company. So when I was going through my receipts after the purchase, I saw a very weird name uh, <laughs> deducted on my bank statement. And I was like, I have no idea why I've purchased from Billy Joe. Who's Billy Joe? Why is this on my, on, on my bank statement? And it was actually the company that I bought the clippers from. But it wasn't clearly signpost. Whoever provide whoever um you know set up the um uh, payment system didn't make sure that it was 
relevant to the name of the company. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, who actually is this person who's taken money out of my account? What else did I not like about it? I actually started to get quite nervous because while I had while I had time to wait, this is what you do when you wait and you're me. Because you didn't know, you don't know when the delivery is being uh, met. You start getting quite nervous. You start thinking to yourself, have I just been swindled? Did someone just take money out of my pocket and I'm not going to get my goods and services? So I started doing research to try and find out, is this typical? Do I need to worry? And as I was stumbling across um, information about kind of delivery times, etc., I also came across a, a, an article which talked about a lot of fake clippers going around. So clippers that look just like mine, wow. but are fake. And I started to get incredibly nervous because I was like, okay, maybe I really have been scammed or I'm actually about to get a fake pair of clippers. So I do what any first world consumer does in this day and age i speak to the manager and send an email to the supplier and i say i just want to find out a little bit more information could you tell me about the product and also could you tell me when my delivery will be arriving no response and obviously now i'm panicking i'm panicking i'm like okay okay i've definitely been robbed i'm definitely getting some fake clippers and I really regret this purchasing experience. Uh, and while having all of those emotions go through through my mind, I get a knock on my door and the delivery is given to me on the Friday. So not the Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, on the Friday. And the clippers are absolutely fine. They work perfect. So I give you that long-winded story to talk about the difference between marketing and sales and to talk about why sales is so important and often neglected in today's day and age. So marketing for this company was absolutely fantastic. I wanted to find information about how I could replace my 10-year-old clippers with a modern alternative. And this company had a post about the best clippers for me in 2020. Perfect. Good example of marketing because it led me onto their website and also gave them an opportunity to say, here's what we sell. Do you want to buy it? And I was panic buying. So I went, yes, I want to buy it. So that was a positive element. They did good marketing, which is they brought a light or shone a light onto the products that they sell. Now the sales element was very poor. The sales element left a lot to be desired for because effectively when we're talking about sales, we're talking about facilitating a smooth exchange of goods and services for money. And this was not that. There was not a smooth exchange of goods and services for money. And as a result, I was a dissatisfied customer, although I got what I wanted and I will not be purchasing from that company again. So what I'd like to talk about today is for the entrepreneurs out there listening to this, how you can be an effective salesperson, even in e-commerce space, and also what kinds of adaptations, what type of updates you might uh, you might want to to have on your sales strategy 
in order to make sure that it's fit for purpose in quarantine lockdown uh, London or quarantine lockdown uh, 2020 at the moment. I love this. I love this for so many reasons. Not only because we're going to do a deep dive into the difference between marketing and sales and how to sell during a pandemic worldwide, but because that case study, real life scenario, was me and many listeners who are budding entrepreneurs hearing their customers take us through how they purchase and all of the errors which we could potentially be making. I'm not making them, glory to God, but some of us could potentially be making. Um, Once again, welcome to Expensive Lessons. This is the podcast where company directors speak about their fruits of their labors, but more importantly, speak about the mistakes, the failures, the mishaps, the tragedies which have occurred along the way so that you can learn from our mistakes and not make the same mistakes. Now, getting straight into it. Now, there are so many things which you've mentioned, Abby, which we're definitely going to dig into. But what I'd like to start with is a thing that many people might overlook. It's very clear, deduction, that you did quite a bit of research as to who you're going to purchase from. Because you've gone to a company which you probably had never heard of before, but they offered a differentiator, which may have been price, which may have been good marketing alongside the price, which enabled you to say, you know what, I'll try them out. Is that true? Absolutely. Let's keep it, let's keep it a buck um, or less than a buck because the differentiator for me was price. Wonderful. I saw that this, this company had reasonable reviews and it had a great price compared to what other companies were offering. And let, let me make it clear. The clippers that I bought were not cheap. They were wool, super tapers, cordless, platinum edition. Brilliant. Now, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're really curious, you'll see just how much money I spent on those clippers. Um, so I was looking to make as much savings as possible. Uh, and this company provide me, provided me with a really good deal. Um, so that was the main reason which I went with them. And that was, you know, a good example of strong marketing. They marketed themselves through, you know, pen, price penetration strategy. They aren't a well-known brand. So having a lower price is a great way of making sure that customers consider them over maybe the more well-known uh, operators. Fantastic. And for those who don't know, who are probably doing their Googles right now, let's just imagine that this is a mid-luxury brand, mid-luxury product, should I say. Um, so you are making that purchase, choosing that company because they have won in terms of price and they have supported the price with effective marketing. You've chosen yeah. them. And from that point onwards, there has been a catalog of errors Areas which we're going to hopefully do a deep dive in to see what they did, what we shouldn't be doing, and why some people are winning and why some people are losing right now during a pandemic. Preface, it's a pandemic. We're officially in a recession. People are probably spending less. The reason why some entrepreneurs are not winning right now is not necessarily because people are just spending less. 
it might be because of how you sell. Absolutely. Okay. So, Abby, first error. Can you revisit it for us, please? So the first error was just the fact that I had no idea when the package was going to be delivered. There was, there was no real detail around it. So what I did know was that the package would be posted by Royal Mail, but that's as far as it went. And the reason why I was happy to go with this brand, even though I wasn't sure when the package would be delivered, is because A, they had customer reviews on their website, good marketing, and B, the price was low. So I was willing to take a slight risk for a lower price. Back when Abby and I were teenagers, um, we used to have a saying, which is, they don't go backwards. Now, they, forgive us, in our adolescence, were females. Females refuse yep. to go backwards. Under no circumstances can they go backwards. Staying the same in itself is potentially a tragedy. But going backwards, death before dishonor. Let me give you an example of what we mean before people start switching off. When we say women don't go backwards. Um, we were teenagers. So we were getting our moped licenses, etc. And we were trying to impress girls with our mopeds. Now, as soon as a girl actually gets a um, passenger seat with a seat belt and no longer has to wear a helmet and sit on the back of your, your bumpy <laughs> moped, she's not getting back on the moped. Um, she is now a passenger until she gets her own driver's license and then she's a driver now and we we saw this in many different areas so it was something that we held on to now, now why do i share such a, a stereotype i share that because amazon have led to us refusing to go backwards we are all now that female in that analogy who we, we've been spoiled Amazon now offering us guaranteed prime next day delivery, sometimes on the same day. Yep. And I'm just continue to be amazed at how quickly it arrives by a different gentleman willing to socially distance, put it by my door. Thank you, sir. Updates all along the way. Now, because they have done that, going back to the analogy, because Tyrone is now driving with four wheels rather than two, I've I've got a decision to make. I can either con <laughs> I can either continue oiling my two wheels, or pivot, elevate, graduate to four and stay in the game. How many of you are not having a seamless process in terms of letting your customers know when their parcels are going to arrive? And that's a secondary point. So one element is not being able to provide next day delivery. Fair enough. We understand that it's costly for some businesses to offer sec first, uh, next day delivery. Sometimes next day, next day delivery costs as much as the product you're selling. Yes. However, what is inexcusable is a lack of communication between you and the customer while their package is in transit. Because every customer is taking a risk when they spend money. They are, well, especially when they are spending money over the internet. Because they have to believe that they are buying what you say they are buying. And they will receive it when you say they will receive it. That's a lot of trust. Yes. That's a big risk for somebody. I'm giving money to you 
Mr. or Mrs. Business that I wouldn't give to a family member. <laughs> so, how do I how do I sleep at night with the knowledge that that money has left my account and the product isn't in my hand? You need to reassure me. You need to engage me. You need to communicate with me. Now, many people will be asking, well, how do I do that? Um, do I start sending them emails? I don't have time for that. Do I start contacting Royal Mail to see if they have a service for this? I don't think they do. Uh, one recommendation, especially if you are a product provider and you are selling online e-commerce, Amazon, Shopify, BigCommerce, etc., etc., is a software company called Aftership. Aftership. For as little as $29 a month, they really should be paying us for this. They will notify your customers on dispatch, on different location points, i.e. getting to the, the local depot, getting to the major depot, getting to the customer's local depot, getting to the customer's door via email and SMS. After ship. Such an easy software such a, a minimal amount of $29 per month could be the difference between your customer actually purchasing again and them not. Remember, Abby got the product. Abby's happy with the product, but Abby's not purchasing from them again. Nope. Not going to do it. What was the second error? So I was going through my... Uh, bank statements now we all have online banking which makes it so much easier to go through our bank statements we can just scroll through on Monzo or on NatWest or on Barclays I'm telling you guys all my banks please don't hack me um, but we, whatever we're scrolling through we can easily see our transactions so if something doesn't pop up we can immediately have our backs up Especially, for example, if it's not recognized. Now, if I purchase something from Tesco, now on my phone, a little Tesco icon will pop up next to my Tesco purchase. Um, if yes. I purchase something from the co-op, same thing. If I purchase something from ASOS, a little ASOS icon next to my purchase comes up. Now, that makes it very easy to, to identify alien purchases. So when I see an alien purchase and I also see instead of um, uh, an icon of a business, I see Billy Joe 57316229, I get very nervous because my first point, my, my first thought goes to, I do not remember giving money to Billy Joe. <laughs> I don't look at the amount and try and backtrack. When's the last time I spent that amount? I see that and go, this isn't nice. Am I dealing with a real business? Not to mention, I haven't received my product yet. So I went through what I thought was a professional website. I spent my money. But now when I look at my bank statement, I see a payment to a person with a whole bunch of numbers after the name. And once again, without me receiving my product, that makes me feel like I've taken an even bigger risk than I initially thought. Unfortunately, people, it's just unprofessional. Yes, you're a startup. Well done. You have decided to enter into the arena. But if you really wish to enter into the arena, you're playing with wolves. 
You're playing with seasoned veterans, male and females. I don't want to say the big boys because there are big girls out there who, who will stamp on your neck. Yep. You have to be polished. And what I read from that is, oh, there are certain cues. Oh, are they still a soul trader? Question one. Question two. Have they incorporated? Question three. If I actually did have an issue, is there a seamless returns process? Four. Can I issue a chargeback to a person? All of these questions are questions which I am posing as someone who, who directs a company, but they're not the questions that a customer will pose. The only question is, who is this? <laughs> which who is, is worse. This? Which is worse than are they incorporated? Are they a real business? Who is this? You cannot afford for your customers to be asking, who is this? You want there to be clarity. You want there to be confidence. You're selling confidence. We're in a recession, people. Do you know what that means? People aren't confident. Confidence is money. Next failure from this company. I'm not going to expose you guys. I hope you're not listening. But next failure from this company was very simply not responding to my message. Now, I had some queries. Now, I have to be very honest in that. Even though I believe I am a measured, well-mannered individual, my... My frustration at this point could have got the best of me. Let me say it that way. Which means that I may have not been as polished in my delivery through email as I would have liked. However, regardless of how well or how well I did or didn't communicate, the fact that I received no response to my to my query meant that I then had decided that I'd been scammed. Criminal. And to this day, I haven't received a response to that query. But at that point, 24 hours had passed and I hadn't received an email back. Yep, definitely been scammed. Okay, so what is my what is my next port of call? Should I call the bank? Should I call the bank and see if I can get my money back? Is that what I do? Is that what you do in this situation? We'll find out. <laughs> it, am, am I too harsh? Is it too harsh of me to say that? Not responding within 12 hours is criminal and negligent. Is that too harsh? What I would say, I think it is too harsh. I think it is too harsh for our entrepreneurs out here who also have full-time jobs. No, nope, no, nope, sorry. That's why I'm going to disagree with nope. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to. I was listening until you said entrepreneurs who have full-time jobs. I refuse because I know them. I was one. There are entrepreneurs who have had full-time jobs and will still respond to all emails within 12 hours. I'll give it 24. I'd give it 24. Let me, let me have a cav add a caveat to that, which is you can only respond within 24 hours if you have an auto-reply set up where, you, where your auto-reply says, thank you for your email. Somebody is reviewing it and we will get back to you as soon as possible. That If I received that when I sent my email, that would at least help me calm down a little bit that would that would relieve some of the pressure that okay well you know somebody is managing or dealing with my email and i should be expecting a response soon i think if you have one of those 24 hours is reasonable i'm trying for you guys i'm trying for the entrepreneurs out here no comment solutions 
there are virtual assistants out there if you believe within your hectic lifestyle of lunch breaks starbucks costa coffee instagram tiktok and all the jet jazz that you cannot respond to those emails for people who you are selling to and taking their money if you oh he's sending for you today he's sending <laughs> i'm sorry i just it's just a pillar it's just one of the pillars customer service yeah especially if you are in an industry where there are not tangible differentiators between your products and another person's. If I'm selling clippers, which I am not manufacturing, and I'm relying on my Google ads to put my clipper there, visible for someone to see, I owe it to my customer to respond within... 12 hours because I'm not giving anything that anyone else could not give. So what, why are they picking me? What is the differentiator? But that's another point. If you are unable to respond within a reasonable amount of time to the customer who's paying for the product or service, hire a virtual assistant, have an automated reply, but hire a virtual assistant. They can through your assistance, respond to the frequently asked questions because there will be there'll be a stock list of responses that you can create for your frequently asked questions most people are going to be asking you oh what's the lifespan how long does delivery last what are your payment options do you ship to finland these are responses which you can outsource to someone and pay because Billy Joe, you're probably trying to skimp on, you know, paying the £14 to incorporate your business. Yes, pay. Pay someone to pay do it. Money. <laughs> pay the money and improve your customer service because your customer service is what's going to keep people with you. It's not your products. No. I've got another complaint that I just remembered. Now, this is a minor complaint, but the only reason it's a minor complaint is because while I was hysterically googling whether i'd been scammed or not i found the answer to the next set the next challenge or the next issue so the box that i received my product in was different from the box that was advertised which would have been terrifying considering that i was already uh, convinced that i would i've either been scammed and lost my money or i was going to get a fake pair of clippers so the fact that i received a box which looked different had a different style than the one that i saw when i made the purchase would have been more worrying the only reason why it wasn't worrying is because when i typed in google am i receiving a fake pair of clippers uh, one of the things that popped up was the fact that um, in 2017, 2018, the brand, the branding changed slightly, and for the newer boxes, the the branding was 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 slightly different. However, this seller still had the old box uh, being advertised. So once again, that was an issue where although the product was virtually the same, what they were advertising was actually slightly different from what I received. And that could have caused a major issue if I wasn't convinced I was purchasing a fake pair of clippers and did my own research. Don't get lazy, people. 
it's, it's very easy for us to fall into the hype of we're going to create a business, a system, and it's going to generate income for us and we're going to have to do nothing. No. You are going to go from one boss to hundreds of bosses. You are going to have to continue to work. That website that you created, which you were proud of, that you slaved on, whilst you probably should have been doing other things, needs to be updated. I was on our website today, adding new products. How can your product box have changed two years ago and you haven't changed it on your website? So you don't think that there are customers who've been put off by that and haven't said anything to you. That's the thing which concerns me more than anything else. I'm thinking a bit some kind of way today. <laughs> there are many instances where people complain. God bless them. Thank God for them. Amen. Be because there are many instances where people don't. I'm more frightened by those who don't because they are secretly destroying your brand. They are speaking in the shadows. They are saying it without anger or any malicious intent, but they're saying it sincerely to all their homeboys and homegirls that, yeah, I wouldn't if I was you, I got burnt. Or their podcast listeners. Or their podcast listening. And those words are powerful enough for someone else to say, no, yeah, I, I've got a friend who purchased from them. Don't allow it to happen. Just don't be lazy. Go back and, and do what you would have done in the, the infancy. I, I felt, I'm, I'm saying this because I felt it beforehand. You can be a few years in and you're like, do I still have to go to the gym? Yes, you do. The, yep. the work you were putting in when you first started, being on it, responding to all those emails when they came through, you must be doing that now during a worldwide pandemic where countries are in their second wave, where countries are still locked down, where <laughs> countries are being added to places where you cannot go on a daily basis. Everything is still changing. I was saying to someone that it's not about acclimatizing to the new normal. It's just acclimatizing to normal, always changing. And if yes. you're running a business in this environment where there are moving parts, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be on your toes again. Have you become sluggish? Billy Joe? Possibly. Now, what I would say is we're not advocating that you just work harder. We are advocating that you work smarter because a lot of these things didn't actually take, wouldn't actually take that much time no. to amend. You know, you're not going to have to stay up all night to update the image on your <laughs> website. But, and you may be too busy, you may have other things on your plate, but you may need to work smarter. You may need to bring on interns or people in work experience or people working one day a week to help you with some of the things that you used to do when you had less responsibility. Maybe when you started your business, you were single. Now you're you know, further in your business and you have got children and a wife, etc. And it's a lot harder for you to, to do some of the things that you used to do when you were, when you were younger. Either way, if you aren't able to do it to commit the amount of time that you were committing previously you need to make up for that by 
investing in people who can commit that amount of time. It may mean that your profits are lower because you're putting more money into salaries, but your business will have longer longevity or more longevity because you're not losing customers left, right and center due to poor customer service. Yes. There there are so many lessons which could be learned during this period. No, I'm not going to say I'm grateful for it because I'm not. But it's revealing what is working and what will always work. Because if you're profitable in this season, you can enter the next extremely confident. Yeah. Abby. Exactly. If you continue to grow during this season, you're in a, in a very comfortable position when people's confidence increases uh, and uh, people are starting to spend more freely again. But that was my rant. That was me moaning about my, my, my life as a, as a you know, middle-class person purchasing clippers. But there are some really important principles that we can draw from this. And I want to talk about uh, the idea of sales and what we can take away from this case study, but also from the people that have come before us to help us actually create framework, frameworks that help. So when we talk about sales, I want to touch upon a couple of different ideas. I want to delve into them in a bit more detail. So I want to talk about sales strategy. I want to talk about sales psychology. I want to talk talk about core messaging. And I also want to talk about customer service, which we've already addressed uh, somewhat. But we're going to get back into that. So when I talk about sales strategy, I'm going to touch on it very briefly. But when we talk about sales strategy, we... I want people to imagine a funnel and I want people to imagine at the top of that funnel where it's very wide and open, a lot of prospective customers. And at the bottom of that funnel where it gets quite narrow and thin, completed sales. Now, if you're imagining the funnel, as I mentioned it, you'll notice that the amount of prospective customers that go in aren't as large as the amount of sales that come out the other end. So a lot smaller. But this funnel idea is a good way of you imagining the way that you can convert potential customers. Cast your wide, nice and, cast your net, sorry, nice and wide initially by generating leads. And you can generate leads in multiple different ways. Your marketing strategy can help you generate needs as well as your direct sales strategy. But the aim here is to get as many people to consider your business as possible. And through engaging with them, through communicating with them, through focus groups, asking questions, etc., you understand what they need and create a value proposition so that you can convert some of those potential customers into actual customers. So why do I mention that? Why do I mention a sales pipeline, a sales funnel? Um, Simple reason is because This doesn't happen by accident. The amount of people that get in at the top is going to be directly proportional to the amount of people that come out the other end. Mm -hmm. And everything that you do to get those customers from the top of the funnel through to the bottom of the funnel should have strategy and should have some sort of logic behind it. So I'm going to talk about some of the things that we can do to actually get people through our funnel. And Afalabi, I'd love for you to also kind of share your ideas and share your insights. The first thing we want to talk about is actually generating leads. 
and we see good ways of generating leads um, on multiple people's websites. Lead generation is simply the idea of identifying a customer or a potential customer who's willing to give you their contact information so that you can sell to them. That is all a lead is. And what does that look like in this day and age? Well, Afalabi, what do you think? What, what types of lead generation tools are we currently using in our everyday life? So as a e-commerce brand, we have a website like everyone else in the world. But within our website, we are constantly trying to gather data. Now, you might not purchase from us, but there is a strong possibility that you are actually going to leave your details with us, or at the very least, your cookies. Speaking about your cookies first, if you visit our website, we will visit you. Um, we play a game called Knockdown Ginger. So if you want to knock on our door, we're going to knock on yours. You're going to see our advert once again. If you visit our website, you will see our pop-up to sign up to our newsletter, to experience, to take part in new ex um, wonderful offers, discounts, one-off sales, etc., etc. And all you need to do to enter is to leave your email address. From the moment which, which we have your email address, you are part of our newsletter, where we, through your acceptance and confirmation are able to market to you are able to share information share learning share knowledge share sales share offers through doing this without you actually purchasing we know that we have valuable data for the future amazing and we we had jess on recently um, Jess uh, of Jess in a Beanstalk and she's a better human being than I am uh, but one of the things that she mentioned which you could definitely also implement as part of your lead generation strategy is engage with your customers and just ask them for their phone number during this period during lockdown period especially if you've got a loyal customer base and you you genuinely want to make sure they're okay Get their phone numbers, get their consent, obviously, and keep a log of their phone numbers. Adhere to GDPR, make sure you're not doing anything unethical. But once you've got that, that, that direct communication channel, then you can actually do some really interesting stuff with it. Another example before we move on is we've probably all been onto a website when we're trying to get something done. Let's say, for instance, we are trying to... Um, uh, get get some sort of insurance, get car insurance. And if you visit a website, they'll say, give us all of your details and we will provide you with a quote. That's a great example of lead generation where people have provided their contact details for a quote. Now, the quote doesn't mean that you're going to spend money with them. The quote now is a way of them actually communicating with you based on your needs and trying to try to offer you products and services that are relevant to you. So we've talked about lead generation and I want to talk a little bit about the next step, which is follow-up and conversion. And when I mention these two steps really, um, but I'll, I'll mention them in one, the follow-up and conversion. This is just a great opportunity for you to engage with your customers or customer groups directly and understand what their needs are and how your business or how your, your offering can address their needs. So by engaging with certain groups, for instance, maybe 
you know, you've you've got loads of information from a certain group. Maybe it's all people under the age of 25. So let's say 18 to 24 year olds, let's say. You've got all of this information um, from, from that type of group. And you want to find out a little bit more about them because they're not spending money the way that you think they would. So you find out, for instance, that the reason why they're not spending money or they're not as a, a larger um, customer segment as you'd like is because they find all of your products and services expensive. This is an actual use case that I'm talking about. But all of your products and services are a little bit too expensive for them. They like them. They'd like to buy them. But being under the age of 25 means that they don't have the income needed to justify a purchase of your product. Now, by having that information to hand, you can then approach that customer group with offers specific to them, whether it be student discount codes, whether it be um, uh, w- w- like split your, what, what are they called? Those systems where you split the cost. Um, pay in three, splicing, dicing. pay in three, slicing and dicing, chop it up, you know, pay later options, all of those types of things. You know, Klarna is a great example from that. Uh, of that but by understanding that the reason that a customer isn't purchasing is because of their own economic standing then you're able to actually shift your offer in a way that supports them specifically maybe another customer isn't purchasing maybe it's a customer who is specifically geographically located maybe you're getting a whole bunch of customers that are watching your website or engaging with your content that live in ireland but for whatever reason the conversion rate in ireland is not as high as the conversion rate in the uk well maybe the reason is because they don't know whether you ship to ireland or they don't know whether they'd actually incur extra charges or longer delays um if they were to purchase products from you uh, to, to Ireland, once again, direct communications with that target audience to say, we will ship within five working days to your location. You do not have to pay anything extra for shipping. And here's a whole bunch of reviews from people who've purchased in Ireland um, and that, that show just how satisfied they are with the yes. service they received. Problem solved. So the aim here of this middle step is understand the problem and then create a tailored message to your target group that demonstrates that you can address that problem. Now, for those people who don't necessarily speak directly to their customers, your customers are still speaking to you. So you follow Mm. the data. So in terms of social media, you're able to actually look at your insights where are your customers or your followers actually based? If you found that actually you've got a large following based in South Africa and you're a European brand, do you have any reference to South Africa on your website linking to what Abby said about shipping to South Africa? How long it takes? Which distribution a platform you might use? Who they can speak to if there's an issue? It Based on your e-commerce platform once again, have you looked at the data in terms of abandoned carts? So yes, you can't actually ask them, okay, why are you not purchasing this? Is it because it's too expensive? But they're telling you because you're able to review the data and the data saying in the abandoned cart, it's these three products which are being abandoned the most. And this is the order value. If you have searching applications within your e-commerce platform, it will also give you data on what is being searched most 
And thus you're mm. able to be really clever. You can start using upselling apps. So you link specific products to other products within the checkout. It's something I was playing with earlier today. And you can cleverly, based on the data that is being spoken to you, link the product which people are looking for with the product which people are landing on the most within their cart automatically. Mm. There's a lot that can be done in an e-commerce space, but there's a couple of things I'll mention very quickly. The first is that just because you have an e-commerce business does not um, give you any reason not to engage with your customers direct. Yes. If you have a social media presence, then you need to get down in the comments. In 2020, there's no excuse for you not to be in and amongst the comments with your customers. You're not bigger than them. You're not more important than them. Than them. They will appreciate you tenfold if you're down in the comments, having discussions with you, engage, having discussions with them, engaging with them, etc. And it's a very useful way of you to just gain insight and gain, gain knowledge. So please do that. Um, but yeah, the, the other point is just in terms of having maybe a different style of business, a physical location or a more, more, more physical business offline, engaging with your customers can be done by developing in individual relationships. Please go back to the, the episode that we discussed um, uh, with, with Jess around building a loyal customer base, how she developed relationships individual relationships with our customers which meant that which meant that they continued to come back but they continued to highlight what they were looking for and what they needed based on understanding her customers and based on communicating with her customers she was able to actually create new business opportunities she was able to upsell new offers she was she she has a a, a coffee shop but she used her space to run networking events business events because her customers wanted that so that's a great upselling opportunity that comes from actually communicating um, with your customers now why would a coffee shop tra transition from selling coffee and cake to hosting business events because your customers ask for it beautiful so I want to talk a little bit about sales psychology and I want to talk about my mindset and I want to talk about how people can take advantage of the ways in which people buy in order to, in order to increase sales. So when we buy, we buy for one of a couple of reasons. And when I was buying my clippers, I was mainly buying based on perceived value and I was buying based on a level of opportunity cost so the perceived value was simply that this was the best price I could find for my clippers and these clippers are very high high value high quality so I felt like I was getting a deal the opportunity cost element was I don't really want to spend a whole day searching the web for clippers. And therefore, if I commit to if I commit my whole day to purchasing uh, to to trying to find a, a website to buy clippers, then I actually lose out.
because my time is very important to me. So I had to weigh out what's more important to me, going with this company or actually spending a whole day searching the web and finding a different company to go with. I decided to go with a company. Maybe it was the wrong decision. Who knows? But these are some of the reasons why we purchase. But very briefly, I want to talk about some of the um, drivers behind our our decisions and how we can take advantage of them ourselves. So, Afalabi, we can kind of go back and forth around that. I've talked a bit about perceived value. And perceived value is simply the belief that I am getting a bargain. I am spending less than the value I am receiving. So if you can convince a customer that they are getting more for their money than they are spending, then the chances are they're more likely to convert as a sale. So that's perceived value. Trust. Afalabi, what do we mean when we talk about trust? Well, you were taking a risk. Um, We are always taking a risk when we're exchanging our money for a product or a service. Marginally, fractionally. However, with certain brands, we don't perceive that to be a risk at all. My affinity with Apple means that I I trust them with my children. They'll be safe. They're fine in the (laughs) Apple store. There's no coronavirus in there. (laughs) trust is something that we as brands all want to evoke create and increase and to do so we need to first acknowledge that we are in a position of responsibility billy joe and we need to fulfill our side of the bargain the transaction how can we do this well billy joe Rightly so, actually had reviews on the website. He had customer reviews as to what other people have perceived about the product. Hopefully they're authentic, but ideally they would have been labeled with the customer's names and not just anonymous. You want to showcase other people's experiences, their testimonials. What else? Well, you want people to sing it from the rooftops and people are influenced by other people who are influential. So who in the influential world could actually speak about your products or brand, both individual and company? How can they actually place you as a trustworthy option? Not necessarily just the only option, but a trustworthy option to put you in the the mirror of potential customers. Absolutely. That's trust for you. Um, Intimacy is another element that I think people need to take advantage of. And when I say take advantage, it sounds very cynical, but I don't mean it as such. I mean, you want to have an intimate relationship with your customers, primarily because you should want an intimate relationship with your customers if you're going to be serving them. But intimacy is something that benefits you as a business. Because by developing a level of customer intimacy, then customers are more likely to engage with you, more likely to provide you with their comments, with their suggestions, with their queries, which gives you more opportunity to sell. Now, when you develop strong customer intimacy, you are able to leverage that intimacy to create things like trust and create an environment which means that that customer 
is happy to engage with you, is happy to uh, purchase from you. Think about it like the people that you love. Whenever somebody, your, whenever one of your friends starts a business, the chances are that the first people who purchase from that company, that newly formed company, are your friends and family. Why is that? Because there is a level of intimacy between in those relationships, which means that your affinity for that person will lead you to want to bless them, for want of a better phrase. So we should be taking advantage of that within our business. And I mentioned it already. There is no excuse if you have a social media presence not to get down in the DMs or get down in the comments. Get involved with your customers. Develop an intimacy. Develop a friendship. Mm. Don't kill yourself doing it, but really take the opportunity to understand your customers and get let them understand you. Let them understand your personality so that they feel like they're actually one of your friends. And as I said, it's so much easier to sell some sell to somebody if they feel like they're a friend yes. as opposed to if they feel like they're just a punter. So that's intimacy. Um, Afalabi, you want to talk about authority. What, why is authority important when it comes to sales psychology? What are we trying to get across here? That you're respected. That you are an authority mm. within your respected industry. Now, for some, whilst they want that intimacy, they might be faceless. Whilst they want to really exhaust all of the the benefits of really being face to face with the customer they might not be able to they mm. might be a male in the hair and beauty industry and they might not necessarily fit the look in the way that they feel that they should fit the look so what they might wish to do instead is to be an authority figure yes they're going to engage with their customers uh, remotely they're going to interact whenever they can but they're going to specialize in drilling into the, the, the science. They're going to specialize in drilling into the, the, the marginal gains between their product and someone else's. And they're going to showcase how they are better logically, how they are better scientifically. They're going to showcase how their product has been quality tested, quality assured. They're going to be heavy with numbers. This isn't for everyone. However, an, an amalgamation of all of these is brilliant. But if you know that the authority is where your masters show this off, allow this to be within your marketing and show people that you have done the months and years worth of research, the months and years worth of testing to ensure that their product, their service will not be a disappointment. Next, we've got gratitude, and I'm going to keep this quite simply. We are all doing a sums game in our head with all of the relationships that we manage, whether we realize it or not. We all know intimately whether the people in our lives do more for us or whether we do more for them. I don't know what it is. I think it's part of our human nature, but we know viscerally whether the people 
in our lives are givers or takers or whether we are doing more for them or they are doing more for us. And even if we are um, generous, honest people who don't try to manage or measure that type of stuff, we just know it viscerally. We also know that with companies and when we talk about gratitude with companies, this is a really interesting thing or an interesting phenomenon that we're seeing happen with modern companies because modern companies who focus on adding value first find that many customers will purchase from them based on the fact that they feel like they've already received value without mm-hmm. actually spending any money. Um, Gary V wrote a book called Jab, Jab, Right Hook, which talks about giving to your customers before expecting anything back and i think that's a really powerful idea and i think it works i think offering value to your customers whether it be through advice whether it be through blogs whether it be through um free content whether it be through freebies giving to your customers whilst developing intimacy is a great way of actually allowing them to feel that gratitude and encouraging them to give back Now, a great example, as I've said, is if you're in an environment where somebody is, you know, feeding into you, giving you a lot, supporting you, and then says, oh, you know, I've got a business that I've started recently. Chances are, it doesn't matter what they're selling. They could sell um, antique china that you're never going to use. If you like what they do and if you appreciate what they've done for you, you're going to want to support them financially. A good example of that is YouTube. So if you go on YouTube, your favorite YouTuber that you might watch possibly has merchandise. And their merchandise is normally one of three things. It's a t-shirt, it's a mug, or it's some sort of uh, fitness uh, apparel. Um, Now, you don't need that because you've got enough mugs at home. You've got enough t-shirts at home. You've got enough resistance bands. But now it's got your favorite YouTuber's name on it. You're not actually buying it for its functionality. You're buying it because you want to support and you're supporting because of the value that they've given you for free. YouTubers aren't being paid directly by you. They may be being paid by ads, but they are producing entertainment for you free of charge. So as soon as you get the opportunity to actually pay them back, you do. Now, this isn't everyone. Because if you're like me, you've never given any money to any YouTubers. <laughs> but that's because I'm tight. But many people do, which is why many YouTubers are making a living now. So that gratitude piece is a very powerful way of actually encouraging sales from your community. Lastly, Last but not least. Yes, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Lastly, we've got opportunity cost. Um, so yeah. shout out Zoella. And the YouTubers out there who are selling mugs with their faces and names on it and people are buying it. Um, With marketing brands behind them and e-commerce consultants, they are likely to remind them that people do not want to miss out. Mm. That there's an intrinsic desire to relate to fellowship, to be part of. And... If there is a hint, a suggestion that you might miss the boat, that that ship might sail, 
that that opportunity might just be squandered, it creates anxiety within the customer. And thus they are driven to potentially do what we call panic buy or impulsive buying. And thus um, the influencer who is selling resistance brands or coffee mugs or hoodies with quotable Instagram statements will might have a countdown timer buy in the next 12 hours for next day delivery or buy in the next six hours and receive 10% off. There are so many different mechanisms which could be used, but they are all driving to the idea that people don't wish to miss out and you wish to create an element of scarcity. Um, we have a friend who is a jeweler um, based in Lebanon and speaking to him, um, he runs a very successful business going around the world looking at diamonds and rubies. He said to me frankly that diamonds are not rare. They're nowhere near as rare as we think they are. But there is an imposed scarcity on them and thus they're hyperly inflated on the market. If you've ever seen the film Blood Diamonds, you, where it's alluded to there and it appears as fiction, but this is reality. If you can make people believe that there is less of something or there will be less of something, people will pay more for it or they'll buy it now. And that is opportunity cost. So we have uh, a whole bunch of points to, to, that we've covered there. Perceived value, trust, intimacy, authority, gratitude, and opportunity cost. The question there is, how are you taking advantage of those sales psychology drivers to help improve your sales? Now, there's a whole bunch of other points that we could actually discuss during this topic but we're pretty much out of time so i think we're gonna close we're gonna have to revisit this another time uh to, to finish these points off i've really enjoyed this conversation just because i got the op opportunity to moan about a really poor experience that i had purchasing from someone else and i'm usually on the other side mm -hmm. uh dealing with a, an up unhappy customer um but um I think it would be nice for us to wrap up by talking about what can people do to sell effectively during lockdown. And as I said, it can be quick fire. We can go back and forth until maybe we run out of ideas. Okay. But what activities can people do to sell more effectively during lockdown? Bro, go for it. Okay. Um, first take. First thing for me is to critically reflect critically reflect on what's actually happened. You're about to fix a car. How is it broken? What does that mean? Looking at your cost model, have your sales decreased? By what percentage? Which things actually decreased? Which products? Which, which services? What are you now going to prioritize for the next few months? Is it that five of your 10 products aren't selling at all, but five of them are still selling? Now you know what to really invest your time in for this season. There are so many questions here, but very quickly, critical reflection on the damage. Where is the damage before you start to administer a remedy? I mean, my turn. Apple Pay, PayPal, Klarna, Amazon Pay, 
Android Pay, make sure you have as many different pay options set up as possible. You do not want to get to a point where a customer is just about to pay, but their preferred payment option is not available, so they walk away. Make sure you've got as many pay, I Zettle, make sure you've got as many pay options set up as possible so that you are addressing all customer types. That's mine. Wise. Take two. Are you leaving money on the table? Are you effectively getting those abandoned carts back? Now, we're all getting abandoned carts. We're all having instances where people are potentially walking away. What is your final sale when they're about to leave your door? What is your final sale when they're about to leave your website? Do you mm. have toolkits to offer your Klarna paying three option? Do you have pop-ups to offer that final discount code? Do you have abandoned carts which are going to the email and to their mobile phones, giving them offers three hours, six hours, 12 hours later, different offers on different occasions? What are you doing for that last resort they're about to leave? Lovely. Next one from me. Pick up the phone, call your customers. If, you, if you're not in an environment where you can speak to your customers direct, just change that. There's no reason why you can't get your customers' numbers and find a group of customers that you can speak to on the phone. Get to know your customers intimately because they will show you insights that you weren't prepared for. Data can only tell you one half of the story. You need a narrative to help make sense of it. You know, we live in a world where data is everything, but data is only valuable if we've got the right narrative right mm -hmm. behind it. Pick up the phone and speak to your customers direct. Ask them the right questions in order to make sure that your messaging is on point. Lovely. Round three, develop a coalition. You're at Oof. war. You are losing. You need allies. You previously thought you had allies. You need bigger, badder allies. You now need to reach out to all of those brands within your industry sector which you admire and put your cards on the table. This is a situation. Let's put our heads together. We serve customers within the same demographic. On instances, yes, there might be overlapping products or services, but our minds together alone in a room could do powerful things. Develop a coalition. Powerful. Amazon, if you can't beat them, join them. If you've got products and services, if you've got products and services that could live on Amazon and you know that you're not able to fulfill those products and services at the level that Amazon can, put your products and services on Amazon so that you are, you've got an additional distribution channel to, to get your products sold. But the beauty of that is that in your box, everything that goes through Amazon, you can put a little note in your box with a uh, link to your website or a business card, which links back to your website or links back to promotional deals that customers can only get if they go on your website. So you're using the Amazon channel to find new customers and then you're linking them back to your original um, offering uh, and, and hopefully retaining those new customers. Mm. If you can't beat them, join them. Definitely. Round four. Become lean and offer commission. Oof. Review your cost model. 
all things which are not essential in your distribution channel have to go. Yes, I know you like it. It's got to go. Everything which is not essential to you getting the product or service to your customer disappears overnight. Lean, commission. Each and every person who is now working with you is offered a commission for sales. Abby took you through the sales funnel. They offered a commission for taking leads to actual conversions. You work out hypothetically what that looks like based on your cost model, but you present that to them and you incentivize them to get down and work. Love it. Next one from me is kind of controversial, but I stand by it. Yeah, I said it. Offer credit if you can. There's probably should be brackets like around that statement if you can. Offer credit. So we know that we're currently at a time where people's finances have suffered. They've taken a hit, but they still love and want your product, but can't pay for it outright the way that they could. Now, I, I would always uh, encourage people to exercise discernment with this decision. But if it's a temporary reason why people can't purchase your product or service, offering credit to trusted customers or offering credit through third-party suppliers might be a good way of helping yourself get over that hump. So if you haven't considered offering credit to your customers yet, I would strongly recommend it, especially if you have high-value products which are susceptible or well-positioned for cost-splitting, mm. for the likes of uh, Klarna, um, Clearpay, uh, Clearpay, PayPal split, all of those different offerings. It may be just what you need to give you a bit of a boost. Round last round five. And this is challenging. Last one. We'll do this one and we'll call it call it a day. <laughs> Exhaust opportunity costs by creating a sales plan on discounts. For the next three months, which flash sales are you going to do, when and mm. where? So looking at all of your products, all of your services, for 12 hours, 24 hours at the most, create anticipation that there will be sales and offer them. Anticipation, use your networks, use the people that you work with, use your coalition, use your influencers, get it out there that you are going to be offering flash sales Devise your plan as to what is going to be sold strategically, what's not moving, which you are going to discount minimally, maybe heavily, what is moving, which you are going to potentially upsell on. Mm. Buy this and get this for this price and have that for the next quarter. Opportunity cost. As in, honestly, I think people need to go back and listen to that bit again because that is one of the most impactful strategies I think that I've seen during this period, that opportunity cost piece, take advantage of it, honestly. Mm. Um, I'm just buying time before I can think of what I'm going to say. Okay, I've got it. Um, pivot to new offerings. Mm. Mm. What I mean by that is 
Whenever people mention a recession, whenever people mention a global catastrophe, they also mention the people that won big during that global catastrophe or during that recession. And that's not necessarily because these people did underhanded or, you know, uh, immoral things. It was because they identified a need that wasn't being addressed, potentially a need that was being created by that recession or by that global atrocity. So the question there is what need has been created for your customers by this current predicament? And how can you address it? Don't worry about the fact that you are a um, nail specialist and have got no idea about delivery or you are a um, fashion store and have got no idea about um, hair and beauty or cosmetics. Identify the problem and then work out how you can be involved in the solution. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's a problem that's big enough, it will pay for itself. And I know that sounds quite simplistic, but all, honestly, most of the most of the cutting edge um, solutions have a very simplistic start. Um, as Afalabi said previously, it may be that you address this problem as part of a coalition, and you are a piece of the pie. But do not be afraid to pivot to new offerings during this time by identifying what the customer needs and how you can address it or flipping it what do you need during this time that isn't being met what are you constantly complaining about that nobody has addressed Mm -hmm. that you believe you can make a business around if you've got a business you understand how you can start one up then take advantage of that and pivot into a new space new offerings bro that was powerful I don't want to do that again because I don't think we'll be as good as at doing that next time. I think I think if we put ourselves to the test each time and do that, we might get we might get some some mixed results. What was impressive was that was not planned, and I wish we let people know at the beginning of the episode that that is something they can look forward to. No, it'd be the bonus. It'll be a bonus for the loyal for the loyal listeners. Wow, <laughs> done it again. Oh, well, um, I'm looking forward to having an expensive questions episode soon. So we love listening to the sound of our own voices, as you can see, but we even love your voices more. So get in touch with us, voice note us questions, send us text messages, send us WhatsApp messages, send us IG messages, DMs, whatever you like. Um, with your questions. We're going to be doing another expensive questions episode where we just spend the whole episode answering your questions. So get in touch with us. If you're interested in getting involved and sharing your thoughts, sharing your ponderances with us, let us know because we are very keen to have this discussion and broaden it out. And we're very keen to have another Jess on to embarrass us and show us just how little (laughs) we know um, about certain things. So honestly, guys, get in touch, you know, be part of the community. Um, We're really keen to hear from you. Um, Yeah, just 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 don't be a stranger. Please do. Um, We are passionate about serving. And I look forward to the day where we have an episode where we invite one of you on, where you share your idea and we rip it apart positively live. 
we will deconstruct it and help you build it up to stand. If that's something you're interested in, pose the question. This has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors like to share the fruits of their labor, their their successes, their failures, and everything in between. We look forward to catching up with you next week. Take care, everyone. Stay blessed.